We've been walking forever. Are you sure you know where you're going? Yeah, I know this place pretty good. I went to law school here. In Costco? Yeah, I couldn't believe it myself. Luckily, my dad was an alumnus and pulled some strings. Glob Culture is brought to you by The Great Courses, celebrating their 25th anniversary lecture series in over 500 subjects, including history, science, art, music, and cooking, and by Harry Shave. If you're overpaying for drugstore razor blades, you have a bad habit that you should leave behind. Make the smart switch to Harry's. Use the coupon code GLOP at checkout to get $5 off your first purchase. And yes, this is Glop Culture. I'm John Podhoritz in New York. With me, as always, and even when I'm not here, uh, Rob Long in <laughs> wow. Dennis, California. <laughs> you get that in. You get that in. I got that in because yeah, for, I was for, not for here. For long time or short anyway. time listeners, John Podhoritz was busy last time, last week. I don't know what you're doing. Child care, fathering, uh, parenting children Taking or something. Taking my kids to camp. Doing something that uh, my child neglecting your child care, your, your podcast responsibilities yes. for some yes. other duties, I guess. Yes. Uh, and we were uh, uh, stepped in. Anyway. They did it anyway without you. Did. You they did. did it anyway without me. <laughs> we have sponsors. We had Kevin they, Williams. You know what? It wasn't even in. like it wasn't even like <laughs> Johnny Carson. You know, asking Dick Sean to sit in at the desk. It was just no. It was somebody just, good. It just happened. <laughs> <laughs> It just happened out of nowhere. David Steinberg sitting in for Johnny. Yeah. Um, you're like uh, you're like that guy in that what was that Avalon movie where you know you cut the, oh, the toiki, you cut the toiki, you cut the toiki. That's Lou Jacoby, <laughs> one of the great all-time Jewish performers. Yeah, Jacoby and Avalon. I actually had um, I once met the the uh, one of the producers of that movie. Um, he had an office like a like upstairs, not quite upstairs from mine, uh, 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 close to upstairs from mine at, at Paramount. And um, and he worked with um, Barry Levinson, who's a great director, did, did Diner, a bunch of other things. And and Avalon was like kind of a home movie for, from him, you know, really a, a a story of his family. And I, I I loved the movie Avalon. I mean, I was I was born in Baltimore, a very different a very different Baltimore, I must say, but still Baltimore. And I've always loved Barry Levinson's movies. And I sort of was talking to him. I said, I just loved Avalon. And he looked at me sad and said, You didn't think it was just a self indulgent home movie? <laughs> You know, I said, uh, Avalon, you know what's funny about Avalon, uh, Rob, is that that's another one of those bizarre things where it's a movie about a Jewish family in which none of the lead actors is Jewish. Aiden Quinn. Yeah. Is yeah. It's a, a wasp Armin, Armin it's our, it's our, it's our Stahl. dream Jewish movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Armin Mueller Stahl, who is an East German. <laughs> yeah. Who, who played who, the patriarch. Who ordinarily Joe, plays a ca- concentration camp guard. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. It was right. Joan Plowright. That's also Mrs. true of the movie Olivier. The Ten Commandments. That's true too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, no, only sense. only the uncles. Only only Kevin Pollock and the uncles, including Lou Jacoby, the one who said, You cut the taiki. You shouldn't have cut <laughs> yeah. the taiki. How dare you cut the taiki? They're I, all I, I there for like Jewish the... color. Yeah. But you know, when it comes to it the up. dramatic parts, Elizabeth Perkins is the mother. <laughs> it's like it's yeah. the most bizarre. Thing and it's gone on in Hollywood forever. It's one of the strangest. They made Neil Simon made Brighton Beach memoirs, and Blythe Danner and Judith Ivy were two Jewish sisters living in Brooklyn. I mean, it's like insane. Well, anyway, 
So that's American me. I'm likes I'm American, John American likes Jews, but you know, there's a limit. I know, I know there's a limit. And, then, and we like then, we don't we we like we we just don't want them to be too Jewish. You know what I mean? That's right. That's right. Too Jewish. Right. Um, that's uh, that, that's anyway, it. And of course, Jonah Goldberg yeah. in Washington D.C. I think Speak, in Washington. Speaking of speaking of not too Jewish. Uh, Jonah Goldberg in Washington, D.C. Um, you know, Jonah Goldberg is like the story, uh, the, the famous Groucho Marx story when Groucho Marx tried to join a country club and they said that it was restricted. Jews weren't allowed in. And he said, well, my daughter is half Jewish. Can she go in up to her knees? <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's, there you go. that's sort of Jonah yeah. Goldberg. But um, yeah, so how are you, Jonah? I am well. And I, I want to say at the outset um, – I want to make it very clear to our listening public that I am wearing pants that I purchased myself. Um, Jonah, I think so, you need to fill in for everybody yeah. who was not following the tweet storm. Yes. Okay. So fair enough. The but Jonah Goldberg no, actually, pantaloons. Actually, I would rather just leave it there. Okay. No. <laughs> well, well, I, 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 pants. I am That's lost. All you need to know. Okay, I am so lost about it, so I, I do need some information. So in an interview with NBC, Donald Trump was asked about me and Charles Krauthammer and our criticisms of him. And he said in reference to me, um, you know, it's bizarre. I've made this huge fortune, huge, bigger than people realize. And here's this guy, meaning me, uh, Jonah Goldberg criticizing me, and he can't even buy a pair of pants. And I, you know, was on uh, – you know, I was on a train when all of a sudden my Twitter timeline just exploded with people referencing my pants, which, you know, I'm sort of used to, but it's usually in different kinds of chat rooms, if you know what I'm saying. And this kind of just took me, kind of blindsided me. And um, and I still to this moment do not know why he thinks I can't buy. I mean, they're, 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 I'm a man of few abilities, but I can buy pants. I'm not saying I'm good at it. I'm not saying I like it, but like I can buy pants. I can cut my food with a knife and fork. I mean, these are things I can do. So I don't know exactly where he was coming from with this, but actually the, the thing about, so we're, we're in the middle of Trump Palooza right now. Right. He is now in first place in North Carolina. He is creeping up on Jeb almost everywhere else. We're in one of these moments, which happens quite often in presidential cycles where Someone gets a boomlet and his fans say um, or her fans say, you just don't get it, right? And it doesn't matter what you say. They are impervious to argument. They are impervious to facts. You just don't get it. And we are in the you just don't get it world right now if you don't think Donald Trump is a savior of some kind. And I, I, I have to say, and you guys can get in on this, but I have to say I have rarely been this disappointed with a sizable segment of my own side as I am at this moment, this idea that, you know, that somehow we don't get it or I don't get it when in fact they're the ones who are being conned. This is like, he is playing people and it's so transparent and obvious to me that he is playing people. Um, but you get these people who constantly are coming up, you know, to me or in email or attacking me on Twitter saying, um, you know, he tells it like it is. He doesn't tell it like it is. He tells people what they want to hear and they think that's telling it like it is. And meanwhile, I'm the bad guy 
for telling it like it is about Trump. I mean, there's this weird disconnect that his alleged honesty makes him a hero, but my honesty about him makes me like this cowardly villain. Um, and it's a real mess, and I think that we're going to get into some real trouble um, with this if we don't figure out how to get out of the Trump scenario that we're in right now. But um, I mean, I could rant for quite a while on this, but Rob, where, where do you come down on Trump? You just don't get it, do you, Jonah? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh, no, I, look, look, yeah, I know I agree. Um, and he said also, uh, you know, the opposite stuff he's saying now, the idea that he's somehow always been this sort of I mean, th- th- what's weird is that he seems he seems to be voicing the this sort of conservative line or the or that, you know, he fights. People say, oh, I like that Trump. He, at least he fights. Well, you know, he didn't fight a few years ago. He was the he was uh, the most squishy rhino ever. I mean, if he were really running on the politics he's espoused up until I think, you know, 12 months ago or nine months ago, he'd be. Um, you know, the Lincoln Chafee wing of the Republican Party. Um, so it's kind of a weird – this is a very weird Trump, although he is right and he has he has grasped this one moment on illegal immigration and that's what it's all about. Two things. One is illegal immigration. That's what he's – that's what he's – that's what he's going to grasp now. And the second thing is he's the only one really out there campaigning entertainingly right now, him and Carly Fiorina. Right. They're the ones doing stuff. Uh, and so they look like they're they're doing it and no one else is doing it. Um, it's stupid. But look, uh, Republican primary voters wanted to get this. I mean, Republican primary voters to me are always um, are are a, a source of great frustration to me for, for two reasons. One, because they complain all the time that this thing starts too soon. And then when. Uh, when it doesn't start soon enough, they complain that everyone – that no one's fighting and then they, they go for Carly Fiorina. Well, actually, I like Carly Fiorina, but they go for guys like Trump. And then they complain that they, they, the D.C. establishment controls everything, but of course the D.C. establishment doesn't. Uh, doesn't D.C. establishment doesn't pick the winner of the, uh, of the primary races. That's who the, the Republican primary voters do, and they always pick the next guy. They're the ones who are the most orthodox, not the, not the people sitting in, in offices in J Street. Um, they're the voters, right? They pick the candidate. So it is only natural to me that – at this point, the Republican primary voters will be having some kind of weird panic attack and be going for this guy who um, is incredibly entertaining, right? But is also uh, like probably potentially unhinged in some serious way where we're all, we're all about to find in this fantastic train wreck. But, I, but what's weird about it is I think – Half of the people that like him or say they like him really just think, wouldn't it be weird to see him on that stage with all those other dudes? Let's let's see that. It's all it's very strange. It has a very Roman Empire quality to it that I uh, makes me uncomfortable, but not as uncomfortable as um, the thought of Jonah without pants. Well, I I'm with Jonah, and in this sense, which is this field which has now grown to 16, this field of Republicans is the most impressive primary field very likely in American history. Here's who is running, okay? You have the sitting governor of Wisconsin, the sitting governor of Ohio, the sitting governor of Louisiana, senators from Texas and Florida and Kentucky the former governors of Florida and New York and possibly Virginia. And Texas. New Jersey. 
New Jersey and Texas, um, all of whom have varying strengths and weaknesses. These are all major American politicians. There are 12 of them, I think I just rattled off. You know, aside from, say, the wild cards like Trump and Ben Carson and Carly Fiorina, um, this is an extraordinary field. And part of the problem here is that uh, the news in the silly season is being dominated by somebody who has taken up an issue that is a matter of great passion to certain members of the Republican base in a way that is the worst possible way to bring up this issue. The worst. It's one thing to say illegal immigration is a problem. It causes, you know, there, there are crime issues. There are issues about whether or not it depresses wages in the United States. It's another to say that they're all rapists and killers. They have created a crime problem unlike any America has ever seen before, which is simply a lie. You know, we're still, we're still in an extremely low, low crime era. Um, you know, uh, it is, you know, he speaks offensively yeah. about Mexicans, not, you know, and, and it's all like taking Some serious good issues people, and turning them into car- you know, <laughs> I love that part. You know, Some I assume are good people. All right. right. Uh, you know, whatever. So what, what Trump is doing in my, in my, uh, my book published like 22 years ago, Hell of a Ride, which was about the, the, the decline and fall of the first Bush administration. Um, and there are passages in that book about Perot. And I say the key to understanding Ross Perot's rise is what I called then the white jerk voter. And the white jerk voter is a guy, and you've met him, and you know him, and he's like a guy you know who says like this, I don't know what happened to this country. It's not like it was when I was a kid. People used to work hard, and people used to do this. Now everyone is lazy, and people are they're on, they're on the government you know, teat, and they're not like me. I'm a, look, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, and who are all these people? Uh, you know, like that, and this kind of, the kind of person who sort of, rants at you about how everything used to be better and how he's better than other people and everybody should be like him. And it's a very it was a very specific type 20 years ago. And it's present even today. And this is a this is not a majority of Americans. It is a minority of Americans. It is, you know, it is sort of angry and self-aggrandizing well, and But is that really so, I mean I think feel like that's unfair to Perot in a way. I mean, yeah, I kind of do too. Uh, I, you know, per- Perot was not that was not no, that the guy. voter. No, well, he wasn't, but his voter was. Well, I don't. Yeah, that's maybe. Who the but people voter voted for was. Perot. John voted for Perot for president of the United States. Eleven percent of the people did that, and I don't 19, think they did that because nineteen. 19 I don't think they, yeah, nineteen, 19. right? I don't think they did that because they they were they were blowhards or, or weirdos or, or angry. I think they did that because they genuinely thought the system was busted and they really wanted change and they didn't like Clinton. Um, in, uh, in retrospect, no, they didn't like Bush, so they uh, didn't like not Clinton. Well, all right, everybody everybody's got their different interpretation of what no, happened. The so, and a lot of the social science would really seem to suggest, and and the results of the ninety four election that Perot uniquely hit. You know the republic. He took Republican votes away from, but a lot of people uh, from the Republican. Okay, we don't have to litigate that now. There's also a lot right. of evidence to suggest that there was a change election, and that people who couldn't bring no, themselves to like Clinton had an alternative, and had that alternative not existed, right. they could have forced themselves to like Clinton. Right. Ninety four was a referendum on Clinton as a president, not as a candidate. But that's a separate issue. Uh, Trump's. Uh, I mean, uh, what I hope, what I hope is that we look in six months and say, Jonah, don't you feel better? 
um, that uh, you're right. He is was this insane thing that happened, but now he's not happening anymore. I mean, is this going to keep happening? Is, are we going to are we going to be having this conversation about uh, presidential candidate Donald Trump in six months? And, if we and- are, if we are, Republicans <laughs> are going to lose next year. If Trump doesn't fade by the late fall, early winter, Republicans are it's over for Republicans. Hillary Jonah, will do, win. Jonah, do you agree? I basically do. I basically do. Um, because I, I don't know he, you know, the, the point I'm, I'm making in I make in writing the Goldberg file thing today was that um, you know in some ways Trump reminds me of Mitt Romney in this sense, right? I mean, Mitt Romney <laughs> well, was both an rich white guys. Well, no, but he was Romney's males. An, yes, they both bought their own pants. Um, but beyond that. Um, uh, you know, the rap on my rap on Romney was always that he spoke conservatism as a second language. And that's why he said, I'm a severe conservative. And he talked right. about, I like to fire people because somehow he got into his head that his base wants to hear him be kind of like a jerk. Mm-hmm. And not, and I think that Trump has the, a very similar understanding. He doesn't know the base. But he does come from a sort of a, a more tabloidy New York crude culture. And so he's speaking a, a sort of gutter dialect of conservatism. And he thinks that's what he needs to do. And if he keeps doing this for six months, um, he will feed a huge rift in the base, which will be deleterious. You know, you could – and he will <coughs> – I, I have no – because he is a, he is literally a rhino, right? I mean he truly is a yeah. Republican in name only. Um, and he's, he's also a sino, right? He's a conservative in name only. He, you, you can't get My from candidate. being, yeah. <laughs> you can't get from being, you know, pro, uh, single payer Canadian healthcare, um, very, very pro choice and, um, uh, and, and a supporter a, of Hillary Clinton in a supporter of Hillary Clinton, a grotesque crony capitalist, and then all of a sudden be a true conservative six months or two years later, um, so, I mean, he is a Republican name only, but he will split off a big chunk of the base. Um, if he runs on a third party, it'll be really, really bad. Um, and if he just simply alienates the base, I mean, he is he's talking. I mean, he's stealing a lot of thunder from Ted Cruz right now. But if he actually persuades a chunk of the party to believe what he believes, while at the same time letting Democrats paint it as Trump's party, you know, you can always tell where the Democrats are going to be going strategy-wise and message-wise by reading Dana Milbank's column, because he telegraphs it, you know, two months in advance. And that's, you know, he wrote a column this week saying, you know, Trump is the Republican Party. They are the same thing and all of the rest. And it will, you know, they they will turn off a lot of swing voters. It'll hurt on the gender gap stuff. Um, And it'll make a lot of people who try to pick fights with him um, you know, look like clowns simply on the don't wrestle with a pig model. It's 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 fraught right. with danger. I'll give you my so, other so, I'll give you my yeah. Right. Can I just give you my other yeah. thing, which is okay, so the country is a lot less serious than it used to be about very serious matters, and I recognize that and this this the Trump running for president is a species of that. But in the end, America this is the Vote for the president of the United States, the commander in chief, the guy who's going to you know, run the country. You got to sit down, you know, against Putin and Iran and everything like that. 
And in 2008, one of the things that happened that elevated Obama over McCain was that Obama looked like he was a more serious, calm, and steady person than McCain did in September and October. And the simple fact of the matter is if the Republican Party looks like it's – you know, it's Man. like a silly cartoon version of yeah. what should be going on in the United States. It will it will redound very badly to the party's image in 2016. You know, he'll scare a lot of people. He'll guys like Trump and whatever it is that he, however he pulls the party to the right in his image, even if he, you know, if he if he doesn't fade away, he will scare a lot of you know independent voters over to the democratic side and he will depress serious more serious republicans and the the tone will depress people who are like this is you know we're we're you know we're on the knife's edge here country is in you know this is a very critical election a lot of things are going to happen in the next 6 or 7 years right. what's going to happen with healthcare what's going to happen with iran what's going to happen with china <laughs> all of that and you've got this you know, you're going to have this just, sort of like cartoonish race. It is funny to think of President Trump. I mean, it just well, he'll it never can't. Be I mean, it's one of those, it's like one of those things point. that can't happen. But then, like, then you know, we all sit here. It can, it'll never happen. Of course, that's the point. Cut two. You know, that's what happens in the movies. You know, there's that circle. There's that wipe. Yeah. Uh, I do solemnly, you know, that I, I swear 110 percent to defend the Constitution. <laughs> like whatever, whatever happens. Um, uh, so so uh, okay so he's got to get out by December. So like, can I can I just like flip it on the other side just to put your? Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday about this. Like, what's the ups? I mean, what's the upside for Trump? He's kind of losing um, assets here. He's getting kicked off. Um, he's losing licensing deals. He's getting kicked off networks. Um, after this sort of polarizing run for president. Uh, I mean, what's the? What do you do? You're if you're Trump now, what do you do? Like, just assume. Okay, assume assume he he runs. He's doing this because he's. There are two possibilities, three possibilities. One is he's doing this out of deep concern and conviction and wanting to help (laughs) and save America. Okay, so laugh at that. (laughs) The second is, and this is no joke, that that he is a stalking horse for Hillary. That in fact, what he what what he is doing as he does this is he is. You know, basically, he wants Hillary president. He's running to destroy the Republican Party and win it for Hillary. The third is that he is all he's bored. He's a rich, bored, blowhard jerk. And it's not so he he got, you know, every couple of years he makes some big thing like with Mm -hmm. the birth certificate or with this or with that. You know, he's done the, The Apprentice now for seven or eight years and he's bored with it. He's bored walking around. He's 70 years old. He's bored. So now he gets to go on, you know, yeah. dumb TV shows and, you know, and tweet idiot things and insult Jeb Bush's wife and insult Jeb Bush and act like one of the most repugnant people on earth and everybody doesn't know what to do about it because he's just an id. Well, he well, is two, just releasing well, his inner three. id because he's bored. Yeah. Two and three are not mutually exclusive, right? Not I mean, at all. So you're right. – that's a really interesting theory. All right. I get a, I, so let me just see if I could pitch it to, jo- to a Jonah as like a – here's the movie. Okay. The movie is um, two guys meet. One is the sort of the super ego nerd, uh, former president of the United States, likes the ladies, likes having fun. 
admires this brash, loudmouth jerk who's kind of, in many ways, a, a certain version of him, right? I mean, uh, tr- there's, a, there's a Clinton quality to Trump. There's a Trump quality to Clinton. They both like the flash and the glitz. They're both kind of tacky, uh, and they both, uh, you know, they both like to fool around. And they're on the jet going somewhere, smoking their cigars, and they cook up this idea. And <laughs> the idea is, uh, you all, you know, you know, you support Hillary in two thousand, which he did, or whatever it is, two thousand eight, which he did. Uh, you, uh, you give us some money, we'll come to your wedding, to the to the new one, and we'll hang out and uh, help me out uh, in New York City, and we'll see each other. And then, hey, you know, I've got an idea, and they have this idea, they cook up this idea, and it's the idea these two guys came up with. Run for president, be Trump, be a jerk, do your thing, um, uh, and we will uh, – and on the other side of it, uh, President Hillary Clinton uh, will protect you. Well, my, my only – Wait, wait, wait. Now, jo- wait oh, I, Jonah, I just picture, you want Jonah's a, response. I, I pictured a Jonah, a, a studio okay. executive. What, what do you what – is that, is that, is that, would that be a movie you'd buy? Uh, <laughs> um, uh no, <laughs> I mean, I, no? Like, I, I mean, like, what the, I don't know. Look, I mean, I just, I, I don't know how it works. It needs a, it kind of needs the second act, you know, about well, okay, like, okay, yeah, well, you got to pay for that. I'm just going to set up. <laughs> but you don't think this I, is can house I, of can cards? I throw, can I throw one other scenario? Like, you know, John had three possibilities of what's going on. There's a fourth one, which oh. is that, and again, it's not one of these things that is mutually exclusive of some of the others. But I agree that he's bored. He's flirted with doing this in the past. Um, he liked it. It's good publicity for him. It helps him get headlines in places like China as the richest, most important guy, the most important businessman in America. That opens doors in places around the world for him to get golf courses and casinos, and it, that, that's a positive thing. The problem is, is this time he took it too far, and he followed some bad advice, and all of a sudden, on his un- the unintended consequence was he started losing his gigs with Macy's and NASCAR and ESPN. And I don't care what he says. This is not good news for him. Um, I mean, he spun it well. And and he lost his TV show and he's, his, his pageant's in trouble. And in effect, he's burnt his ships. And now he's like, oh, crap. What do I do? I never intended for this to actually have this kind of blowback. But now these jerks are attacking me and he's now sort of unfortunately committed to doing this. Now here's, here's, here's my prediction of what's going to happen. But it's not prediction. It's somewhere between a prediction and a fantasy. I don't think he ever intended to comply with the financial disclosure rules on the FEC. I think that, he was going to, which he did, did, and a couple of the other candidates have as well, file for extensions that would allow him to, he thought that would allow him to get into the debates. He'd have some fun in the debates. He'd cause some trouble. And then he'd, he'd pull out. On the day of his announcement, he had a one-pager, super official yeah. one-page yeah. um, summation of his net worth, right? $100 uh, zillion, dollars. yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it was like, it, it might as well show pictures of stacks of Monopoly money. We, we know, we know more is, information about how much money Richie Rich had. <laughs> um, but, so now, but the problem is now he is locked in to that number. And he did, I don't think his advisors knew 
that he could not participate in the first debate unless he actually filed the, the real information. Right. And so now he's got a bunch of Adderall-soaked accountants trying to figure out how the hell they can report his numbers accurately that line up with that, that document. And because um, I don't think – look, it, it's funny. Once you start listening for it, it is amazing. He's the, he, he is the only billionaire out there who always complains that he's been lowballed, right? Whenever the Forbes yeah, right. 100 list comes out, it's like, oh, I have much more money. He actually sued once because of it. In that quote where he attacked me for not being able to buy pants, he says like six times, I have a huge fortune. I have a giant fortune. I have a much bigger fortune than people realize. He, he is so invested in this idea that he is secretly super, super duper yeah. wealthy yeah. and he is terrified. You know, and God knows what kind of Byzantine, corrupt, weird stuff he's got on his books. A guy who declares bankruptcy that often, um, he doesn't want to shine the light of day on it. So I think he's in a really weird place. And yeah. my fantasy is that he ends up getting his accountants to put out stuff that ends up being perjurious and he goes to jail. Well, that's okay. Well, that's, that's, that's a pretty good finish. That's a really so you got a third act at least. Yeah. Or, or, or actually, yeah. you have a first. You have a first act of a very interesting comedy, um, but you have where Donald Trump in jail. Uh, let me tell you something. You are now my wife, or I am now your wife. Um, uh, but but I okay. All, all those are good. I still kind of think uh, John Podoris' House of Cards version is the best, and it ends <laughs> with. You know, uh, uh, Trump and uh, um, and Bill in you know Blair House, smoking cigars, and in the background these kind of you know go go girls in in big you know go go boots dancing. In like for some reason in my my in my scene it's sixties music. It shouldn't be, but it's sixties music. And in the background you can see there's a light on in the White House, uh, and you know Hillary's working of course because she's you know got stuff to do. Um, and uh, and they're laughing because they've they they have effectively bedeviled the, the, the as John has <laughs> has rightly said the most significant the most uh, uh, the, the 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 most gravitas laden the probably the most impressive Republican field ever <laughs> they managed to be clown. Okay, now there's one All other right. possibility. Right. The, the other possibility is. None of this matters. What matters is that you know Jeb Bush has raised a hundred million dollars. Ted Cruz, who does a hundred fifteen, does appear to have been, you know, sort of like overshadowed by Trump, has raised fifty one million dollars. We don't know how much Rubio has raised yet. Walker, you know, has not declared. We don't know what's going on with him, and like that. So you know, the truth is that while all this goes on, there is also you know the serious candidates are making serious moves and, you know, Rand Paul will have, will be able to raise a lot of money through, through, you know, direct sources and all of that. And, 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 and all of this is a sideshow. It's happened early. It won't matter. Trump will, will flame out in the first debate because he'll do something really, really, really jerky that really annoys everybody and will sort of embarrass himself and embarrass other people. I mean, that that's sort of like the most likely event is that somehow Trump will jerkify himself out of the race. What's fun about that? Nothing, nothing. There but is. by the way, the reason I raise the House of Cards analogy or the you know the stalking horse thing is this is exact. This actually happened. We know that Perot decided to run for president because he wanted to screw 
George H.W. Bush because he had this psychotic idea that Bush had disrupted his daughter's marriage. We know that. Wedding. Wedding. Wedding, Excuse me. Yeah. We know that. We know that Perot – this was all personal for Perot and everything else was just a scam and that he had decided that he was going to take Bush down and he did. You know, He, He got his way. Um, so there is precedent for somebody doing something like this. You know, this does, I mean, Rob's point, though, does raise the double standard that is kind of annoying and that there's a lot of commentary about how Sanders is kind of good for Hillary because it makes mm-hmm. her seem more reasonable and moderate. And yet no one will say, you know, Trump is kind of good for the other fe- for us the field because he makes them seem more reasonable and moderate. Um, and I do think there's an enormous opportunity for someone in the field to triangulate in a sort of classic Clintonian way and say, hey, look, Donald Trump, he says things in ways that are not helpful and do not further the cause, but he's focused, he's brought attention to a real issue and try to steal the issue while throwing him under the bus. I think there's an opportunity for that. But he started anyway. a national conversation. We, we need a national conversation. Right? Yeah, right. I hate well, national yeah. conversations. Yes. We have been made a, a very nice commitment by the Casper Mattress Company. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Anyone who's bought a mattress knows they're sort of overpriced. The mattress industry has inherently forced consumers to pay notoriously high markups. And Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost by of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to the consumer. You know, there are cabs, uh, they're, they're advertising now in New York everywhere. It's kind of cool. Why should you buy a Casper mattress online? Three reasons. Quality. A Casper mattress provides resilience and long-lasting supportive comfort. Casper mattress is one of a kind, a new hybrid mattress that combines premium latex foam with memory foam. Our uh, Ricochet's own uh, uh, James Lilacs is a Casper mattress believer. He speaks eloquently about it on the flagship podcast. He's now about two. The cost, mattresses can often cost well over $1,500, but Casper mattresses cost between $500 for a twin, $600 for a twin XL, $750 for a full-sized, $850 for queen, $950 for a king-sized, and I guess that's probably California kings around there too. Casper understands that buying a mattress online can have consumers wondering how this is possible, and that's convenience. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. Casper offers free delivery and returns for the 100-day period. It's that simple. Statistically, lying on a bed for four minutes in a showroom has no correlation to whether it's the right bed for you. That's why Casper has turned the buying process into a risk-free experience. Casper understands the importance of truly trying out a mattress that in all reality you spend a third of your life on. I did have one creepy – I bought a mattress once. I had a creepy mattress salesman who kept saying, just lie down on it. Just just go on. Lie down on it. Stretch out on it. It was so weird. Like, I don't want to lie down on it. Just lie down on it. Sir, really, lie down on it. It was horrible. Um, Casper mattresses. I don't know why I took that detour. <laughs> Casper mattresses are obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Just the right sink, just the right bounce. Two technologies, latex foam and memory foam, come together for better nights and brighter days. Risk-free trial and return policy. Try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. Casper mattresses are made in America. There's a special officer, offer to listeners of Glob Podcast. Get $50 off. Any mattress purchased by visiting casper.com slash glop, G-L-O-P, and using the code word glop at checkout. The terms and conditions apply. That's casper.com slash glop with the coupon code glop at checkout. And we thank Casper Mattresses for sponsoring this episode of Glop Culture. Here, here. Beautiful. Sanders, the, the thing about the only issue with Sanders is whether or not he's a stalking horse 
for Biden. That is to say, if he yeah. shows that there are real severe weaknesses wow. in Hillary's. No, I'm saying if there are real se- or everybody or gets Gore, a stalking horse. Or Al Even Gore. Joe Biden gets a stalking no, horse. No, no, no. Where's no, my no, stalking no, no, horse? Unconscious stalking oh, horse. Right. In other words, if what what Sanders reveals is that Hillary has genuine weaknesses, like se- severe weaknesses in uniting her own party. You know, there will still be time in September or October for Biden or Gore to get in. I don't know who else there would be. They're the only two who could possibly jump in or Trump. Right, exactly. But, you know, that that is the Sanders scenario, that Sanders is Sanders' success will be sort of like um, Eugene McCarthy in 68, that it was McCarthy's success against Johnson that got Bobby Kennedy to jump into the race after New Hampshire. Anyway, um, you know, the thing is, you guys, is that I got to tell you guys, most of you listening, like Rob and Jonah and uh, and me, you know, most of you listening are lifelong learners and you're interested in learning for our own personal enrichment. And that is the motivation behind the great courses. The great courses features engaging video and audio lectures from top professors on a wide variety of subjects. It has a collection of lecture series geared toward professionals that we recommend, including Scientific Secrets for a Powerful Memory, How Conversation Works, Art of Public Speaking, and Influence, Mastering Life's Most Powerful Skill. These lecture series offer great tools and insights for anyone looking to improve their recall at work, hone their presentation skills, or become a better negotiator. It's the 25th anniversary of this, 500 subjects. Available in DVDs, CDs, streaming, digital downloads, or with Great Courses apps. And for a limited time, the Great Courses has a special offer for Glob Culture listeners. Order any of these four business and presentation courses for just $9.95. $9.95, special price available only for a limited time. Order today. Go to thegreatcourses.com slash glop. That's thegreatcourses.com slash glop. And... Get yourself some thrilling new education and useful education and ways to master your fate and control the people around you like marionettes. Uh, or not, <laughs> not like marionettes, no, but you know, but like, yeah. convince, them with, convince them with the brilliance of your arguments Manipulate and the brilliant. skills that you <laughs> – right, yeah. exactly. So um, this, uh, this I think – uh, is uh, you know this is by the way part of what's depressing to me is Trump is the idiocracy candidate. Can we agree with that? Like Trump is Trump wins. Trump really stages a real thing. Gets this is this is that Mike He's Judge first movie one. from two thousand and six. He is he is the idiocracy candidate. He is the step from him and the candidate who rides into you know the convention on a on a on a motor Terry Crews. President Camacho, you know, on a motorcycle with a with a you know with a with a howitzer wow. around his you back. You know your idiocracy movie. Wow, that's pretty good. It's really kind of a, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a very flawed and very brilliant. It really film. is, isn't it? it? Like it's like it's yeah. a mess, and the movie it's, came in a mess. And- it's a mess. It's a mess. But you know the 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 brilliance of the conceit. This guy essentially like falls asleep like Rip Van Winkle and he wakes up and it's a thousand years later and he is a totally average person from our time. But, you know, three, you know, a thousand years later, he is the smartest person on earth because everybody has become so stupid that, you know, nobody knows how to build a building. Nobody knows yeah, how to build together duct tape. It's, it's really exactly. it's on cable all the time. It's kind of worth watching. This plot does it plots really dumb. 
It's a yeah. very right wing movie. It's an extreme – like all of Mike Judge's yeah. stuff, it's extremely right wing. Like the main, Silicon Valley. The, right. Yeah. And the main point of it is that you know we in the United States are, get, are getting so unserious that – you know that we are we're dooming ourselves to a to a to an idiotic future. So Trump is the idiocracy candidate, and I love that. And fact that's that and that's the great giant song. Costco. Everything happens in Costco. Yeah, like you know, the guy when they walk into Costco goes, "Yeah, Costco. That's where I got my law degree." Um, and they, <laughs> and when they walk in, there's a big fat guy in Costco with kind of like this weird droopy eyed expression. And as you walk in, he's the greeter, and he says, "Welcome to Costco. I love you." Welcome to Costco. I love you. Maybe last start like in the future, they they love you. That's what we right. say instead of I love. But you know, look, we live in America, and the one thing you can say about America is it's not Greece yet, right? It's not Greece. So here we are watching as Greece, you know, defaults on its on its money. Apparently, its prime minister decides to throw a referendum. He wants to lose. Because he knows that they need to come up with something that will make sure that the money right. keeps flowing from Germany. The referendum wins three to three to two or something like that. Instantly, the finance minister who was yelling about how the referendum needed to pass resigns because he doesn't have the foggiest idea what to do now, yeah. now that it's passed. And and now the real question is whether you know Germany is basically going to just prop. Grease up because it, it will take all of you know Europe down with it. This is the ultimate in too big to fail, right? A country if a country in the middle of a continent fails, um, you know, then then you know they're going to reap the whirlwind. But of course, you know, we're sitting here in the United States, and in four years, uh, Illinois is going to go bankrupt. The state of Illinois, which states can't go bankrupt, but Illinois is going to go bankrupt because of its pension obligations, and nobody knows what's going to happen then. Because there is well, no pers- – and, and we know Puerto Rico, which is not a state, is bankrupt and there is no modality. There is no, there is no way for anything – there is no way to negotiate Puerto Rico out of being $72 billion in debt. Yeah, but we know what's going to happen, right? I don't know. What is going to happen? We're going to cover it. But who's we? The United States taxpayer. Have okay, you met him? so if the United States taxpayer covers yeah. Puerto Rico because it yeah. has to cover Puerto Rico, and then okay. before, yeah, okay, so the Puerto Rico bill is uh-huh. seventy-two billion dollars. The Illinois bill will be a yes. hundred billion dollars, yes. and the California bill in twenty twenty-four will be a trillion dollars. The, the, the California bill may be a little less because it's uh, it doesn't come in. It's a uh, it's 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 not a swing state. Um, <laughs> electorally, uh, but yeah, the California bill is going to be rough. Well, look, uh, the, the 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 U.S. taxpayer pays for everything all the time. That's rule one. It's not right. It's not good. But like that's what it's going to be. There's no other choice. But there are, the 50, people, there are fifty. There are fifty states, yeah. Yeah. and the there people have fi- voted themselves these boons. This is exact. This is not exactly what's happened in Europe, but it's the outcome that's happened in Europe. I mean, in Europe, Europe is is a fake. Um, country, uh, you know, fake federation invented because uh, they they wanted one, so they created one, and they sort of created one out of economies that don't go together, and they then they created very low interest rate loans for places like Greece, and the Greeks borrowed, and they borrowed and borrowed and borrowed, and they did a lot of home remodeling. That's exactly what happened in Greece, and they couldn't pay it back, and then they were all in debt, and that was that. Um, and that's and then the and then essentially the banks the 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 banks failed. The bank being this big euro bank idea failed because the 
people in Greece can't pay back the loan. Um, that's sort of what's happened with the states, except the states could simply. But uh, look, er, what's the difference between it, the states and and Greece? And what what happened with Greece? Greece state, joined the euro. Because, right, well, Greece. If Greece hadn't been in the euro and it had been in this position, it would have inflated its currency, or it would have been forced to, you know, destroy its currency, or you know, vol- vulgarize its currency in order to save it. Nobody believes the Greek government can efficiently collect revenue. So right. even if they raised taxes, they wouldn't be able to collect it because it's corrupt. Right. Everybody believes that the Illinois Revenue Board or whatever it is, the Franchise Tax Board, can collect the revenue. Every look, look there's nothing there. The, the second most ruthlessly efficient uh, um, government bureaucracy next to the IRS is the California State Franchise Tax Board. They right. will simply raise taxes, and they will do it, and they will find some judge to make it happen. That's what every politician wants. They want a crisis. This, the crisis is how they get to raise taxes. That way they can look at you and say, I didn't raise them. Judge so-and-so raised them because we had to because we were broke. That's what they're going to do. They have to. And then, and, then, and then magically our taxes go way, 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 way up. And every, every politician, Republican and Democrat, can say, not me. I didn't do it. This uh, unelected judge did it. And it's the law. Well, I, well the only thing I understand is, is when – when did we pick up the uh, buy gold guys as as advertisers? <laughs> <laughs> Act <laughs> now. Like, yeah. Act you now have to you can get your Krugerands. <laughs> Krugerand.com slash glop. You know, Rob, when I buy my gold, I like to get my gold quickly and on time in <laughs> – <laughs> you know, like, that's they, they send that gold to you, right? They like they just put yeah. it in a, in a UPS. They just send the gold. Yeah, they send gold through the no, mail. They that's don't send weird. gold to you. You buy you. You know, as with everything, you buy credit in the form of gold. No, 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 no. I thought you might get actual. The real gold food. is in the cloud. It's in the cloud. No, man. it's not in the cloud. <laughs> that gold in the, the cloud. Is in the cloud. Bill Devane sends you gold. He yeah, does. look, Bill Devane wouldn't lie to me. I mean, he says. We right, said you real physical gold. You are not watching Fox News, John Pedoritz. I am watching Fox News, and I, I don't know. Can I use Bill Devane's gold to pay off my Fred Thompson reverse mortgage? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to know. I'll because- tell you the thing about the, the Bill Devane ad. I, I might have even brought this up on a previous Glop podcast. That was probably the one that you did with Kevin Williamson. Oh, remember that? Want to bring that, that Jonah? One that was that great one. Smoke. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so. <laughs> The build of one of the build of ads has him, and he looks exactly like he does in that movie Payback. Um, but he he has that. Um, yeah, well, he he looks like that guy anyway. That's this is him. Yeah, but um, <laughs> he does this thing where he says, you know, he's talking about his gold, whatever, and then he goes into his study and he opens up his secret wall safe and puts the gold in there and it just drives me crazy it's like you're in, it's not a secret wall safe if if the entire world can see where it is i got and news I, for you jonah that's not his house i don't know Why? i don't know that's because he's on a golf house. course and i know he next lives on a golf course the, yeah. next you're going to tell me that those ads depicting jews in israel as starving, emaciated <laughs> hordes, swarming food centers <laughs> like zombies isn't accurate either. He does live at a golf course in, in the va- in the desert, uh, so I, I do. I, I would be surprised if uh, I think that is literally his wall safe. Maybe that's maybe that's his neighbor's wall safe. Yeah. Either way, you know. You know good okay. luck finding it. I mean, there you go. 
Yeah. Now, you know, but to continue with the apocalyptic uh, well, What's apocalyptic theme, about it? There's no uh, – here's the thing. I don't think it's apocalyptic. You're saying it's not apocalyptic because basically, uh, you know, taxes are going to go up to 70 percent of everybody's income in order to yeah. pay off – in order to pay – make sure that, uh, you know – Which is what people, they want. The people who run the – run the subways in Chicago, get to retire at 50 right. and, and have 100% pensions. The, the, this will, the country will become, you know, some version of some, you know, for us, for, for, for conservatives, it'll be some hellish socialist nightmare. <laughs> but for, uh, for, for hellish socialists, it'll be paradise. That's, that's the thing. That's what we always, and our side always, like, talks about debt this and debt that and the size of the federal debt and we make it this big crisis. And their side's like, yeah, 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 spend, spend, spend. We don't care. And by the way, half the Republicans Republicans think that too because there is no debt problem. The, the problem solved with the stroke of a pen, just raise taxes, which is for them is the solution anyway. That's what they want to do anyway. So anything that gets you to that solution is a good thing. But you so, know, there is a problem with raising taxes. The problem with raising taxes is there's a point at which it is wildly inefficient. I mean, you know, and no one really knows what that point is, but it appears that, you know, if you get close to 50 percent of a person's, you know, income with federal, yeah. state, and local taxes, that is a tipping point beyond which people, you know, work less and they, you know, they, 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 they come up with shelters or they, you know, move to Ireland or they do whatever it is that they have to do to get away from, to get away from the taxation. There is a it, – it, The largest political party in America – and I, I suspect that, that the, the majority of Obama voters mm-hmm. in two federal elections will not be happy and will not be satisfied by a federal taxation – by a taxation system nationwide that is anything less than exactly at that number that you just mentioned, whatever that number is. It is now less than that and they're not happy. And they're going to want, no, want a few clicks above that number. Right, but they don't want to spend it on they don't want to spend it on state bailing out states. Sure, sure, because it's perfect. Like uh, bailing out states for pension funds is fine. That's good. That's like the that's government workers. That's every that's what they've spent the the, the most of that uh, stimulus money on. Well, it's, we'll it's, see. it's, it's fantastic. It's a it's a it, we complain about the thing that they that's their solution. Right, it's as if but a cancer look, cell so wants chemotherapy. Solution, so Jeb Bush's solution, the solution that is that Jeb Bush has centered his campaign on, right, is that the, the salvation of the United States lies in getting the growth rate to 4%, right? Because the amount of money that's thrown off of the growth rate of 4% will effectively solve a great many of these problems. And he's right. That's true. The only problem is that literally nobody on earth has any idea how <laughs> to get the growth rate over 2.5%. We needed a machine. We, we, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like the Steve Martin thing, first get a million dollars. Yeah, it's like, it, you know, no, it's the classic, you know, it's the classic economist thing, you know, like imagine a 4% growth rate. Right. That's the solution. Sumo ladder. It's, yeah. it's all done, you know. But, I mean, he's right. And, of course, that's the, you know, the, the only solution that Republicans have in circumstances like this is to talk about growth because, you know, Republicans don't want to raise taxes and Democrats do. And Republicans want, you know, believe in a more dynamic economy, less regulation and, you know, and uh, more, you know, more freedom for people to do – to start businesses and do all of that. And the problem is that 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 implementing it still there is no guarantee that you know that the growth rate can be lifted up and the problem remain will remain the problem you know we will simply not 
have enough money to meet not only our our federal obligations as as Medicare and Social Security grow, but these but these classic you know state crises. So now, but I, I think that is a you know it's not apocalyptic, but it you know it, it portends very difficult next fifteen to twenty years and. Meanwhile, in the apocalyptic right. mode, I wrote a column the other day that got a lot of attention because I took a walk in New York City over the really? weekend. Where? I took a walk with my kids on the Upper West Side. Uh-huh. From where to where? Upper, from uh, about 105th Street to about 86th Street. That's, that's uh, not a really good walk. <laughs> from about 105th Street to 108th Street. Uh, and then we got a, a taxi. There you go. <laughs> that was that. <laughs> Anyway, the story is that the story is that the you know that the reclamation of New York from the forces of social decay that you know has been one of the you know the 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 great story was one of the great stories of the last twenty five years is starting to reverse itself um, yeah. for various complicated I reasons. That too. And it doesn't I take there. and it doesn't take that many people. That's the interesting thing. You have a sort of streetscape, and in in a neighborhood like mine, which is what I was walking through. It only takes 40 homeless people to completely alter the tone, the spirit, the mood, and the feeling of walking down a street, right? Makes it depressing. It makes it unsightly. makes you a little nervous to have your kids around it. And then somebody, you know, as happened to me, somebody, some schizophrenic guy starts ranting, walking down the street, and he hurls a bottle into the middle of the you know, of the street and, you know, nearly smashes it into a car, which would then have crashed into another car. Weird. It's weird and it's disturbing and they're great. And it's very easy to say it's all, you know, the fault of this, you know, terrible liberal mayor, Bill de Blasio. It's not, it's a whole series of things Uh that are going on. Um, But, you know, it is a mark of some of the changes that are going on in the United States that, uh, we are, I think, about to see some of the, you know, the social disturbances, and we're even seeing the sort of, you know, the, the re, you know, sort of uh, return of um, a real feeling of racial conflict, you know, that sort of thing, and it's 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 disheartening. I think, I mean, it's very disheartening <laughs> to to be in a position where you know, the enormous numbers of people think the cops are evil. And you know, white people hate black people, and 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 uh, it's depressing. You know, after after you know, a black man was elected president, and you know, unprecedented social gains by African Americans, and all of that. That here we are, you know, and back in a in a in a in a national mood. I think of a really unsettled sense of you know whether America is a good place or a bad place. You know. Yeah. Take an Uber next time. Oh, it's I'm depressing. Yeah, but it's real. Not, well, no, I don't. Well, yeah, okay. I don't. Are you depressed, Jonah? Um, I, I think well, a couple different things. One, I think John is absolutely right about uh, about the the sort of grubby, the increasing grubbiness of New York. Um, the last few times I've been up there, I mean, especially around like Penn Station, every single garbage can has a different panhandler sitting down in front of it. Some of them quite clearly able-bodied, but weird. Comes um, from the fact that we were, first of all, Barack Obama was, you know, oversold. I don't think anyone here is going to dispute that. But also that we had such a crappy, abysmal recovery, mm-hmm. and people sort of have this, you know, is this as good as it gets kind of feeling, and it's not very good. 
No, I think it's right. It's kind of like it's a sort of perfect storm of of lackluster recovery. There there aren't any pockets of of, of rocket ship growth the way there used to be that that people feel are accessible to them. There's of Texas and parts of California, I guess, but the rest of it doesn't really and North North Dakota. Um, and then there's this constant drumbeat from the, the 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 center of leadership in the country that you are inadequate and you need to be fixed and you are not good enough. Um, to most Americans. And then there's the sense that I think, I mean, look, the, the, the bottom line is a lot of people voted for Barack Obama because they wanted a black president and they wanted to be the person who voted for a black president. So part of the vote was a therapeutic vote for someone that they wanted in the White House and they wanted to do it for themselves too, right? It was a very complicated feeling for a lot of people mm-hmm. who voted for a guy whose politics were probably a little to the left. I mean, you know, if you think of this as a, basically a center-right country with a heavy emphasis on the center part. Um, and he's center left with a heavy emphasis on the left part. They kind of stretched a little because they wanted to. They wanted this to happen in America, and he repaid them by being ex- a little bit farther left than, than he even admitted to, and also by spinning in their face and, and by saying that you're inadequate. And by the way, this doesn't get you anything. And, and black I, leadership in this country, beginning last year, yeah. Has now is now committed to a line that America is no better than it than it ever has been. That America is no better toward blacks. That it's no better toward minorities. That it is no better. Right. And you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates has written a book that is going to be the bestseller of the summer, in which he apparently addresses a letter to his son, in which he basically says there has been no progress over the last fifty years. In which case, deranged and demented and false. But the fact that it is an arguable, that is a point that is being argued in very respectable quarters in very serious ways is depressing. It's depressing, but 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 yeah, right. It's It's not true, but but it is also forget. I I don't even want to talk about whether it's true or not. It is depressing that we are that you know this is what has happened. But I think what's depressing about it is that we know. Well, especially we three on this podcast know and pe- people listening know that these topics will never be debated openly and honestly or, or they will never be debated frankly. That what that, – that, that first they set the terms of the debate. They clipped and tailored the vocabulary and now we're going to have a conversation. Whenever they sit down and say, let's have a – I really want to have an honest conversation about this or that. What they really mean is the first they're going to give you the list of words you can't use. And a list of phrases you can't use, and they're going to circum- circumscribe the the, air, the, the 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 conversation that you can have, and give you and, and have secret language that if you trip into it will immediately disqualify you from the conversation. So the the, the Ta-Nehisi Coates book you already know is not going to be discussed honestly or openly. It's going to be one of those things that kind of uh, people just sort of shrug at and say oh, okay, but but I think you're right. The the mood is sour, um, unfortunately. Um, uh, I don't know how to now segue to something positive. Well, we here's something to. positive. I mean, Omar Sharif. Harry died. Shave. Oh, Harry Shave. This is a positive. This is a this is a positive story about capitalism and disruption and yeah, good right. service and a and unlike the Upper West zeal. Side, yeah. you know, a real you know homegrown business that is uh, doing you don't have to doing leave your good house things. So and be you know, started by <laughs> started by two guys. Passionate about creating a better shaving experience, which I can attest to because I am a daily user of Harry's Shave and it's the best you know razor and shaving cream that I've ever used. As I recall, you're a gel guy, right? 
Well, I've I switch. I sw- I've switched around. I like the gel, right? But uh, I'm, I, you know, how does Harry's deliver this superior shave? You know, I bought a Kevin blade factory. He's a lotion guy. He likes the lotion. I'm sure he does. I'm it sure puts the lotion in the lotion. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, how does it deliver a superior shave? <laughs> they bought a blade factory in Germany that has been crafting some of the world's highest quality blades for almost a century. And by cutting out the middleman, they can offer an amazing shave at a fraction of the price of drugstore brands. They ship it right to your door at factory direct prices. And here's the thing. It was sparked by one of its founders. Andy had a personal experience. He went to a drugstore, waited 10 minutes for someone to unlock the case where the razors were held, bought a four-pack of blades, some shaving cream. It was a terrible purchase experience for him. He walked out. He looked into his bag. He had a receipt for over $25 of products and brands that didn't speak to him as a customer. I just felt, he said, like there had to be a better way. And there is, and Harry Shave is the better way. Their starter is just $15. That includes razor, three blades, and your choice of Harry Shave Cream or Foaming Shave Gel. As an added bonus, you can get $5 off your first purchase with the coupon code GLOP. And after using the code, you can get an entire month's worth of shaving for just 10 Shipping is free. Satisfaction guaranteed. Go to Harry's now. It'll give you $5 off if you type in my code GLOP with your first purchase. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. And enter coupon code GLOP at checkout for $5 off. Start shaving smarter today. That's what you got to do. Yes, Omar Sharif is dead. But you know what's not dead? Inside Out. Inside Out, the new Pixar movie, oh, yeah. which is... Mostly great. Okay. I would say mostly great. I have a review in the Weekly Standard this week about it. I would say it's mostly great. It's mostly fantastic. But it's it's flawed. It's also flawed. I don't have know. you seen it, Jonah? I have seen it. And you like it? I saw it, I saw it with my 12-year-old daughter. Uh-huh. Thumbs um, up? Yes, thumbs up. Uh, I agree that with John. That, you know, it's got its limitations. You know, my daughter, and I try not to actually divulge too much about my child's life in my public persona, but my child has a bit of a nostalgia issue. She just truly does not like the idea of growing up. I mean, I think it's a perfectly rational attachment. Things are going pretty good for her as a kid. (laughs) And so, like, she just doesn't want to stop being a kid. And so she was pretty upset and, you know, it was sort of a delayed reaction. She really liked the movie, but it also really spoke to her at a level that kind of... you know, we had to have some conversations that night about. I mean, it's it's. It, I think it's well done. I think it's a good movie. It's it's extremely brilliantly conceived. Mm-hmm. The problem with the movie, as I as I as I lay out in my piece, I think the problem is so there's it's inside out, right? So it's basically about the control room in 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 the brain of this 11 year old girl named Riley, and there are five emotions that govern the control room. And stuff happens and they have to go on a journey through her unconscious and through her memories and all of this to get her on the right course. The problem with the movie and the thing that keeps it from being a masterpiece the way other Pixar movies I think are genuinely speaking among the best best movies ever made is that she, the actual person, is dull. The character of the girl she is uninteresting and her problems are uninteresting and she does not move you. The feelings, joy, anger, sadness, yeah. disgust, uh, you know, they are very beautifully rendered and you are – you feel connected to them and you feel connected to her imaginary friend who lives in her long-term memory and does a heroic thing to save her and all of that. But, um, you know – 
some of these Pixar movies have an interesting problem, which is that they they have a they have they're half great and then half and everybody goes crazy for the half great part and kind of forgets the part that's unsatisfying. You know, Wally, like the first forty five minutes of Wally were astoundingly yeah. good, and oh, then yeah. and yeah. then you get onto the spaceship and then it turns into eh. And you know the the same was true of uh, of Up. I think, you know, the movie about this or the old man with the house and the balloons, like the first half hour of Up was astounding. And then it turns into this kind of bizarre, pointless adventure in South America that doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really hold up. So this is a problem with Pixar movies. There's less of a problem with this one than with those because really most of it is spent on the inside and not on the out. But it's a... Yeah, but, uh, know, I'll push back on that slight bit. I mean, one, okay. um, they they... Intended. The whole point was that this is like the first cartoon movie where the little girl is just a normal little girl with normal little girl problems. I, and I agree with you that she could. They could have made her more charming while sticking to that. You know, give us a reason to root for her um, a little bit. But I will say, and I will defend to the death, that the second half of Up has Doug in it, and Doug is the single greatest rendering of what a golden retriever slash dog in. Mm interior life actually thinks life thinks like and it is my easily my favorite dog canine cartoon character with the possible exception of snoopy um in the history of television or or cartoons okay okay well but but i just want to ask one question because i haven't seen the picture but um i did i've read about it i've read there, there was some controversy about it because the emotion that portrays sadness is the short fat girl who's purple? <laughs> That's true. That although is true. They're, they're all, although they're all, none of them is really that. Uh, well, there's uh, oh, because this was fat shaming, fat shaming, and you know othering. If you're other, you're. But baby. I mean, the, the whole theme of the movie is is it, it's it's the journey from like all childhood stories. It's the journey from innocence to experience, and part of it is. The discovery that that sadness that it's okay to be sad that you know that much of the movie the parents of this girl and indeed the emotion that governs her which is joy believe that every that sadness has to be kept away from everything she's not allowed to be sad she's only allowed to be happy and that in fact life is very rich and there are sad things and happy things and 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 you know there is something suppressive about the notion that you should not be able to express your sadness when you're sad. It sounds banal when I'm saying it, but it's actually very you know metaphorically it's very powerfully rendered in in, in the movie, which is uh, which is really it's it's also just amazingly inventive, you know. And the idea that a girl's personality, you know, a little girl in America in the 21st century, her personality is represented essentially by five theme parks in her head. You know, that sort of look like, you know, uh, Disney Disneyland or Disney World or, you know, the dot the or like uh, the the Santa Monica Pier or the Wildwood Piers in New Jersey or something <laughs> like that. And That's one's, you know, true. Goofball Island and one's Imagination Island and one's something else. And that basically as she goes through this crisis, they start to crumble and, and, and collapse. And this is what's her personality starts to sort of disintegrate because she gets – because her parents move her to another city and she loses her friends and it's uh, it's 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 very it's very powerful in, you in see, its I, own I was sure that when 
Rob brought up the fat shaming nature of of sadness that that John was going to come back with his rage that anger was represented by a Jewish guy. Well, that's just that's right. That's just, <laughs> that's just <laughs> accuracy. That's just they're just trying that's to keep right. it real over there at Pixar. That's right. Well, uh, or, or 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 anger is represented by by a, by Aiden Quinn. <laughs> playing, playing a Jewish. That's guy. right. Joan Plowright is anger. <laughs> yeah, right. Dame Joan Plowright. I will now play Jewish anger. What? What is this? <laughs> yeah, she was. Just, yeah, it's, it's like I, I. When I was eleven years old, I saw Olivier play Shylock. Yeah. When I in in London, and you know, it really was. This was Olivier Shylock. It was like half not the Jew eyes. What? You know, fuck, you know, feelings. I mean, it was literally, it was like Jackie Mason as Shylock. It I was, was going to lend you, I was, was going to lend you 20 ducats. I was thinking about lending you. I was gonna but lend now you. I'm going to take the flesh. <laughs> Give me the flesh. That's what I want. I want the flesh. <laughs> Speaking of Lawrence Olivier as a Jew, I will send you guys. I think oh, I posted it on, I think I posted it on, on, on Twitter, but about five o'clock in the morning, I was, I had insomnia. I turn on, you know, cable, and there is the 1980 Neil Diamond jazz singer in which not in, that's right. In which Lawrence Olivier plays a Holocaust survivor cantor, and at some point when he realizes his son has taken up with a non-Jewish girl, he tears his he tears his rends his garment and says, "I have no son." And it is one of the worst. It's like six seconds of the, you know, this guy is supposedly the greatest actor of the 20th century. It is like the six seconds of the worst acting you have ever seen. And it was a joy. I saw it, I saw it, you know, when I was like 19 years old. I hadn't seen it since. I mean, believe me, the whole movie is like a camp, is a phantasm. I mean, you know, how it hasn't sort of like taken off at midnight shows at the New Beverly in LA or something, I, I don't know. But it's, uh, it's it's beyond which, belief. Uh, Lawrence Olivier was uh, was either playing concentration camp victims or Joseph Mengele. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's it like yeah. and he, he it's went like, from one to the other. Yeah, he went from the other. Yeah, probably he was like, a like marathon on the man. same he day. Was, he you was know? Mengele, yeah. right? And then the next day he was he was he was uh, Simon Wiesenthal. Yeah, he was he was Simon That's a great Wiesenthal. scene, by the way, Marathon Man. When he's oh my walking. god. Down the what, like Forty Seventh Street, the Diamond yeah. District. Yeah, and Devisa Engel is here. Oh my God, oh, he's great. away. I still get goosebumps thinking oh. about that scene. I did recently see. Uh, so I know we have to wrap it up, but I was we're talking about terrible movies. I did recently see this um, a really good bad movie called Killer Joe. Uh, was Killer direct, Joe? Killer William Joe, Friedkin. directed by Billy Fre- William Friedkin. Uh, starring Matthew McConaughey and some other people and uh, Thomas Hayden Church and um, – oh, God, her name is just right, right out of my head. She was in um, uh, Showgirls and uh, Gina Gershon. Gina Gershon. Oh, yeah. And uh, some other people I, I don't remember. And 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 it's – and Emile Hirsch, I think. And it's it's really bad but lurid and – and pretty amazing, and uh, I don't think it's ever shown anywhere. I could have kind of you know died. Who wrote that movie, the guy who plays yeah. the CIA director on Homeland, yeah. Tracy Tracy Letts wrote Tracy Letts, and then wrote the screenplay to that. And he also wrote um, Autumn August, Osage County, August Osage, Osage County. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of it's way over the top, but it's sort of interesting. And if uh, if it's ever it's on, it's kind of worth watching because the last scene is just 
uh, it's not only not safe for work, it's not safe for home. It's like, not, not safe in your head. You shouldn't, <laughs> it shouldn't be inside your head, but, but there you go. Have you seen, um, what's the, who's the guy who plays Mad Max? Um, the Mel Gibson. Oh, no. Tom Hardy. Yeah. Tom have you Hardy. seen, have you seen the movie Bronson? Oh yeah. <laughs> no, but I love the name. Man, that is yeah. a strange piece of work. Um, it's on Netflix. I, I, I got it because Robert Duvall started tweeting about it a couple of weeks ago. Oh, really? Yeah. And I was like, what is this you talking about? You know, because I love Charles Bronson. Um, and, <laughs> and then Sonny Bunch was saying, oh, no, you got to see it, but don't watch it around your kid or anything. It is a strange, strange. It's, 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 it's a little clockwork orangey. It's a, uh-huh. it's a strange movie. I hate that. But apparently movie. it's a true story. Uh, did, did, was Duval tw- did, to Robert Duval tweets? He does. He does. Are, do they, I mean, are they, do, do they, are they, oh, they're mean, very I, gruff. I'm trying to, yeah. say. It's, it's, all, it's all of these, like, why do you treat me with this, this, this kind of disrespect, Michael? That kind of thing. No, I don't know. Why do you hurt me, Michael? Um, <laughs> haven't I been loyal to you? Um, so she, these are not like old man tweets where he doesn't really know what he's doing. But they're, they're um, not tweets. the ones. I, I mean, I, I, he doesn't tweet a lot. But I mean, if you want, I can call up his Twitter feed and I can read you some of his no, tweets. No, no, I, I'll follow him. I, I, I'm, I'm pleased. To, he's one of my favorite actors. I'm, I'm pleased to know he's yeah. tweet. But every now and then, you an, a, a, an actor of a certain age or someone with a certain age will start tweeting, and it'll be uh, a uh, who's taking me to the doctor on Thursday? Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's not a tweet. Uh, Bob, that's that's a question you want to ask the lady who works for you. Oh, oh. But, uh, speaking of rewatching things, I re I re recently rewatched the paper, and yeah. first of all, Duval is fantastic in it, and second of all, it's just a great movie. You know, it's, a it's really just a, good movie. It's just a solid movie that actually captures something of the actual spirit of the New York City that I remember growing up in. I, I really like that movie. Yeah, but, they have that fist fight in, in the presses right at the end or near the end. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. great. It's a great. That's a great. You couldn't do that now, right? You could not have a guy and a gal punching each other around the button, around, around where, the button. where they're trying to stop the presses. Nope. And who? It's uh, it's Glenn Close and Michael Keaton, right? Or, yeah, yeah. Or like, are trying to you know beat each other up. And there's this great speech that Duval gives, which I always remember because there are people in our profession um, who sometimes get a little grandiose about their station in the world and. Um, and Duval is talking to Glenn Close. Glenn Close is, you know, she wants another raise. She keeps asking for more raises. And Duval tells us a story about how he and a bunch of hacks were sitting around and got way too drunk and charged up enormous amount of money on a bill while they were in in Barcelona or something. And then it turns out that uh, Picasso was sitting at the next table watching the whole thing, and he doodles a little something on a napkin, and that's how they can pay the bills, but with his doodle. Yeah. And the the moral of the story is, you know, we cover these people. We aren't of these people. And um, there are a lot of people, people in my line of work, and especially in Washington, who get confused about that sometimes. But anyway, I always yeah. think of that. Yeah. So see the paper, see Killer Joe, but maybe not be see wary Bronson. of the be aware of the right. The, the last scene do maybe not see Bronson, uh, see Inside Out. Uh, don't vote for Trump. Um, um, everything's going gold. to hell. <laughs> everything's going to hell. Buy gold. <laughs> buy gold. Get a reverse mortgage. Buy gold. Put it real, in your wall safe. Physical gold that they deliver yeah. to your home. Yeah. 
And it's pretty- I, 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 I can't remember, you know, make sure if you need a catheter, you get a self-lubricating catheter. Uh, buy Harry's Shave, buy the great courses, and we, uh, I guess, will talk to you in uh, August. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah, or unless we, you know, we're, the, the spirit moves us to do this in the next two weeks, yeah. That, that well, could Rob, happen too. Rob and I will see each other on the high seas. That's right. Yeah. Oh, you and you know who else will be on that boat with you Kevin. on the high seas? Kevin Williamson. Kevin. Right. Maybe we'll just do a special one. Just I think you should do a special one on but the boat I think with Lilacs Kevin Williamson. sitting in for you on the uh, night owl. That's so. right. Ah, uh, yes. Lilacs. Well, you know, at least the thing about lilacs is – He's very useful because he, you can use him to get to those hard-to-clean corners. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. I love him. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so. Uh, well, that is going to be obviously have to come back and, you know, all right. <laughs> okay. So, so have a great time on, uh, on the cruise, you guys. And uh, Thank we'll, you. We'll, we'll talk again. All right, guys. See you soon, fellas. Break. conversation. Some men, nothing is written unless they write it.